0: There's a lighthouse on the hillside Take your Bibles to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1 through 12. One of my favorite verses of all the whole Bible is found in the Nehemiah, chapter 8. I hope you bring your Bibles. If you don't have them, there's a red, bright red book, not burgundy, but bright red book in front of you. And that bright red book, the King James Bible, will help you. If some of you are using electronic Bibles. That's perfectly fine, as long as it's not Pokemon Go or Candygram. Don't play games here at the church. You'll see why this passage, I think any church, all churches that, that love the Lord want to need to go through uh, this passage every so often. The title of the message could be a lot of different titles, but uh, I've titled it The Symptoms of Revival, the Symptoms of Revival. I like to go through the Bible and see when God came to those folks and did a good work. I want to think, well, what happened there? What, what was it? What were the circumstances? What? Where, what, what went on? Now, the uh, book of Nehemiah and Ezra are, are really combined together because Ezra and Nehemiah both appear in this chapter 8 uh, of uh, verses 1 through 12. They were together for a while. They went out separately, but they came together for a while. And the children of Israel, the history before this is too lengthy to really go over the whole history, but uh, the children of Israel, starting with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel, they were given the promised land. They went in the promised land under Joshua. Moses didn't go because he disobeyed God outright, publicly, and wasn't able to go in. He is, by the way, been into the promised land since then at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was seen uh, with Elijah. So Moses eventually got to go into the promised land. He just didn't get to go in this old body, which probably wasn't a disappointment at all. But nevertheless, uh, the Joshua takes the children of Israel in It takes, uh, oh, 15 or so years. They conquer most of the land. The the, the thing thing is distributed by lot under God's direction. Uh, The 12 tribes take their possession. They don't take all the possession. They're commanded to go and finish taking the rest of it. But the major strongholds are all gone. All the major resistance, the high-walled cities, have been destroyed by God starting, as you know the story, with Jericho and the walls falling down supernaturally. And what God was going to prove to them by going to Jericho, which was the stronghold of the south. It's been said, I was at Jericho, I've stood on Jericho, it's only about 10-acre area of actual city. Uh, Jericho, the, the guy that, the, that was with us there said Jericho's walls could have been up to 80 feet high, that's 8 stories. Well, nobody at that time had any technology to breach a wall that big, and they were impregnable. They evidently had their own water and whatever, and so God knew that, didn't want the first city to cause them to much resistance. So we basically, you know, the story marched around it for seven days and then sounded a great shout. When they did that, there was evidently some sort of an internal earthquake there. The Bible says the walls of Jericho fell out. Interesting. Um, that is the way the ruins show it. And uh, the walls of Jericho were laying there even today. They had big towers and everything. Uh, some of those towers, the foundations of them, of course, still there. They know quite a bit about it. And every man in which they had surrounded Jericho went in and took it. Well, by taking Jericho, it just showed the children of Israel, I'm going to do this for you. I am going to conquer the land for you. You just do what I tell you to do, and you'll conquer the land. And they did. They went in there conquered the land. It was distributed. Time of judges, where God ruled, the theocracy. They didn't do too well. They had 13 judges, ultimately ending with Samuel, the best of them, as well as a priest. And then they asked for a king. Most of you know they asked for Saul. Eventually God gave Saul. By the way, God gave them Saul. Saul was a good guy at the beginning, but Saul wasn't very attentive to the specificity of the Word of God. And because he wasn't attentive to the specifics that God told him to do and he thought he could be careless, that was really Saul's sin. He didn't do it the way God said to do it. And God said, I'm not pleased with you. I'm going I'm to reject you and your family from being king over my people. And he went to a man the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And that name was Jesse. Uh, uh, Jesse had a son, the seventh of his sons, uh, David. And, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. And, and from that was Solomon. And Solomon uh, sinned and, and placed the, the kingdom, was divided. Ten northern tribes went off to Rehoboam, or uh, Jeroboam, southern tribes to Rehoboam. And uh, uh, they went on for about 400 years. It didn't do well. Eventually, in 210 years, the ten northern tribes were taken away by Assyria, off into captivity, never to re-inhabit the land. The two southern tribes, of Benjamin and Judah, went on for another 136 years. They didn't do too well either. They had out of those 20 kings that they had, eight of those were good kings. Five of them were great kings. And eventually, however, they went to kings that did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And they were dispossessed. Babylon was allowed to come in. People who hated them. I want you to get this. God used the Assyrians, which hated Israel, to take the ten northern tribes and take them out of their land. God used Babylon, which hated them, were, were, were worshipers of gold and silver and idol worshipers. Used those heathen to come in and take his people out of the land. And for 70 years they spent in captivity as servants of those Babylonians. And it was prophesied that they would spend 70 years, one year for every... Every year that they did not allow their land to go follow. Specific, specificity. God said, uh, in, "In every every so many years you're supposed to let the land, every seven years you're supposed to let the land, and they didn't do it. They thought God wasn't paying attention just because he let 400 years go by. What you learn by that is God's paying attention. And when God says to do something, he means to do it. That was the difference between Saul and David, by the way. And so for 70 years they had to spend for every year that they didn't let that land lay fallow, they wanted to make money. See? They made money. make money. So money was their driver rather than God. And they, they would make money on that seventh year and figure, hey, we're ahead of the game. Well, they weren't. God had them pay every dime back as they lay in, in uh, captivity for 70 years. Now, captivity, they were not allowed to have a temple. They were not allowed to worship. They were not allowed to sacrifice. The temple that they had in Jerusalem had been destroyed. It was a dunghill. It was a wasteland. Uh, and they were in a sad, sad shape. Well, God used these two guys, Nehemiah and Ezra, to call the people back, and God and 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 uh, uh, give them, a, as it were, a nail hole, just a nail hole back into into Jerusalem, and, and gave them favor in the eyes of the king of Babylon, king of Medes and Persians at that time. And so, though that king said, "You can go back, and I'll pay your way back, and I'll I'll give you an escort, and I'll pay your," and so here they are back in. The land. A miracle. What nation has ever been captured by another nation and disseminated and spread all over the place that a regather? You know the name. Israel. Is there a nation today in that area called Israel? You realize what kind of miracle it is for a nation not to exist for almost 270 th- years in this case, I'm talking about. And they were allowed to go back and have their nation again, right? But now we're talking after 70 AD, and the, and the Romans finally dispersed them and had enough of their rebellion. They basically have been dispersed out of that land until 1948 when God sought to regather his children again and put them back into the land. There's over 12 million plus Jews now in the land, they have over 200 nuclear weapons. They are not, uh, what am I going to say, helpless. Nehemiah, we start in verse 1 there of chapter 8. They've come back to the land. They've been able to rebuild in some degree the, the temple. At least they can start it. And the walls, Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. That's for the temple. And let me start, and then let's learn about four major things out of this passage, and then go home. All the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. That's what we call the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women, and all, now I want you to underline this, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midnight. Now that is a serious, I don't know how early in the morning. Morning's morning, right? But till midday. And so they had a a pretty long service there. They hadn't had any for a long time. And before the men and the women, and notice he repeats this, those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attending under the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. You'll notice this is not plastic. Which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood a bunch of people. You can read them if you like. Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, just like I am here, raised up, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, and by the way, this is not forbidden here to gospel, amen, and amen. When those kids were singing, brother, those are two young people out of a generation that are wild and crazy living for Jesus, singing the songs of Zion, I just have to say amen. I love you young people that live for God. You're a chosen generation. You know, we talk a lot bad about young people. Let's talk some good about them. a little more. That's why, man. And all the people stood up, man, and said amen. And what did they do? They lifted up their hands. This isn't illegal either. You you state over serious Baptists, I'm I'm good with you lifting your hands up. If it's in in worship unto God, I often pray with my hands up in this auditorium. And they bow their heads and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. In other words, they basically look down and raise their hands unto God. And all these people here caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. I'm not going to read those names and then have you tell me I mispronounced them. And so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave their sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is a tertia, of Tershatha, and Ezra the priest the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, The day is holy unto the Lord your God. More not, nor weep. Why? Why do you say that? For all the, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. I tell you what, if I was sitting in their shoes... And had just been through seventy years of captivity by the Babylonians, and it lost everything. And read through the books of Deuteronomy, chapter twenty-seven and twenty-eight, where it gives if you do these things, these are the curses that'll be upon you, because that's part of what they read. And now there's also a chapter for the blessings. If you do these things, you'll bless. You'll be you'll be the head and not the tail. will you'll, you'll be the lender and not the borrower. But he says, if you don't do these things, there's a whole list of things in chapter 20. They had been through all of those. No wonder they wept when they heard those words because they knew they had their forefathers and their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents had disobeyed the work of the, the word of the Lord and had suffered, and they had suffered the consequences. Wow, no wonder. He says. Verse 10, my favorite, one of my favorite verses of the whole Bible. Go your way, eat the fat, all you health food folks. Eat the fat and drink the sweet, sugar and honey, and all things nice. And sent portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for the day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. And I love that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites steal all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. They were crying, making a, they had heard, they, they were grieving. They were back into the land after 70 years, and here they had the. for the first time in 70 years, they got to hear a sermon. They got to, they got to sit with Nehemiah and, and, and Ezra and all them other guys, and as they explained the word to them, and as they went through those things, what a privilege. These people were overwhelmed by the privilege that they had to be back. All the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth. Mirth is joy. Mirth is like, woo, Because they had understood the words that declared unto them. Now think of why they got happy. They got happy because they understood the Bible. Trouble with being fed with the Bible from a small child like I was is you can take it for granted. You've been fed ribeye, so to speak, your whole life. And sometimes you can look at ribeye and go, but if you have never had a ribeye, and the first time they slap a ribeye in front of you, it's all cooked just right, you think heaven came down and glory filled your soul. Let me give you two aspects of revival I learned from this passage. One aspect is that God moves upon his people and shows them their sin. That's part of revival. Another aspect of revival is that people respond to the beginning of this, and they turn to God with joy and mourning. In Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, it says, "I, I say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. God's initiating the invitation, but then he waits for your reaction. I see in the Bible that God, generally speaking, or often is a reactor rather than an initiator. God seems to be always ready to restore and to forgive us. It even says the heavens declare the glory of God and affirm it, showeth forth his handiwork. He, he's saying he's there. He lets, According to Romans chapter 1, they're, they're without excuse, they know he's there. The things of God are clearly seen, even his Godhead and his power are clearly seen. I don't care what they say about evolution, God made everything. And even the evolutionist really knows it. And if he doesn't know it now, he will. Romans 121, it says, To Israel he saith all day long, I stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient gain, saying people. But God reacts and waits for you to move. This morning, the word of God's being preached. He's waiting for you to move. People said to me, Well, if God come into my bed and do this or do that or show himself or manifest himself, God has manifested himself by the birds singing in the morning, by the sunset and the sunrise at night, by the clouds and the billowing 50,000 foot thunderheads, by the rain that you received, by the food that you've eaten, by the songbird that you heard, and everything around you is screaming, there is a God. And He has made all this so that you can know Him. Now, you got to seek Him with all your heart if you want to find Him. you got to act on His invitation. Because if you don't, He's made you in His image. What is the image of God? Volition, free will. You can choose to reject Christ as your personal Savior and and the, the sin provision He made for you and have to someday stand before Jesus Himself and answer for your sin. What a sad case of affairs that would be. God seems to always be ready to restore and to forgive, but will you react? Whatever the order that God comes, we need to learn the symptoms of revival here and ask God, to make these so in our lives. Number one symptom, a return to the Bible. What do I learn from this passage? I learned, first of all, for a revival to happen, you have to have a return to the written Word of God. All the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street before the water gate, spake and Ezra the scribe, the book of the law of Moses. No revival takes place without the Bible. You can't skirt it. You can't overdo it. Devotional books won't do it. you got to go to the Bible. I tell people, people come to me and say, well, I come to the service. I hear the preaching. That's not enough. you got to go to the Bible. It's got to be the service and the Bible. No church can prosper long without its people desiring the preaching and the teaching of the Bible. It's got to be the Bible. The issue is really the Bible. You can sometimes, you may want to use this as a personal gauge to see how your standing is with the Lord. Are you reading the Bible? Is, is it a have to read the Bible uh, or a get to read the Bible time? If it's a have to because Pastor Bill sent me a letter. Or I don't want to sign up on that board out there because if I sign up on the board and don't read it, Pastor Bill will send me a letter. God forbid your dry, weary soul. You need somebody to encourage you to to read the Bible. Uh, Do you dread to come to church? Do you get up and go, oh, brother, another Sunday. I am so sick of going to church. You sleep when you get to church. Brother, slap Brother Jeff, Donna. Now, some of you got sleep apnea. I'll give you something, I'll give you a little space here. Some people have horrible sleep apnea. And honestly, if they sit still for three, four, five, ten minutes and they get comfortable. I have had to wake a guy up back over in this section here that was snoring so loud, 30, 40 of the people were laughing, I was not telling no jokes. And the guy said, I said, wake that guy up. They woke him up, five minutes later, he's snoring again. So the object is, come to church with your snoring protection. No, you sleep in service. Let me tell you this, I worked my way through college. Seven years took me to do four years. That's because I, I ran out of money. I had to go work a year and a half to go. I had to work three semesters to go three semesters. Then I'd work three semesters and I'd go three semesters. Run out of money. My, my dad and mom had money. They could have paid my way. But I said, they offered me on the phone. I, won't, I said, no, I don't want your money. I want to do this. God and I need to do this. In that order. And it hurt me to to drop out and see all the rest of my my fellow classmates graduate and may still be a sophomore and still be a junior graduate. But I can tell you one thing, I didn't sleep in class. Oh, I'd go to class and it'd be like some fabulous Bible teaching from the mouth of learned men that love God. And it was just, I was like like getting the dripping of the honey off the honeycomb. And there's guys over beside me i hit the guy and say, what's wrong with you, man? Mom and daddy paying their bill. It was no value to them. I'll tell you one thing, you're sleeping in services, there's no value here. Now, if you got sleep apnea, go to a doctor. I know one. Are you memorizing or trying to memorize the Bible, to hide it in your heart? These are symptoms. Now, you've got to check yourself out. Well, preacher, I got one out of five. Well, you're not doing too good. So you read the Bible. It shouldn't be dry. It shouldn't be duty. It should be fun. It should be exciting. You shouldn't dread to come to church. You shouldn't sleep in the service of showing showing your, your lack of interest. You should, mem- you should actually be memorizing some Scripture and putting it into your heart. You should have the Scripture around you in your hands and around your house. This is the first step of revival is a revival in the interest of of revival of interest in the Bible. Are you with me? These people gathered up into the Watergate there. When they heard Ezra and Nehemiah were going to be doing some explaining of the Bible and the actual Pentateuch, that was their Bible, was going to be read by all these men, that whole list of men, one on the right hand, one on the left. They were going to sit up there and read that thing. Now, that was a long time. That was hours and hours and hours of standing. Symptom number two, attendance to and interest in group services. Verse 2 and 3, Ezra brought the law, congregation, and both the women and the men that could hear understood the first day of the seven month. A few things need to be noted out of the verse 2 and 3 there. And I said it twice while I was reading it. Only those who could hear with understanding were present. Only those who could hear with understanding were present. If you've ever wondered why Gospel Baptist Church has junior church while we're having this service, it's because we're trying to obey the Bible. This service is no place for people that cannot assimilate and understand what I'm saying. I have more biblical proof than you do for filling this place with children. This is not a place for children that have no understanding. They're too young to understand. They're too wiggly to understand. They'll disrupt and hurt what's being said. And that's why we do junior church, junior worship, we have nursery, and all these other facilities. Not because we don't love children. Man, everything we do is about kids. What we want to do is reverence the preaching of the Bible. I'll guarantee you, you do not bring a small child into a college class. Try it. And they will throw you out on your ear. Why? Because a professor believes what he's teaching is important. And what he's teaching you are paying for. And what he's teaching you need to get. And I've never known a college where they allow small children or children without understanding to sit there with their moms and dads just because mom and dad want them to. They'll say, if you... The child cannot be in this room. Why? Because what we're doing in here is adult, and it has to be assimilated, and it's important, and that child will detract from that, and, if I may say, cause irreverence to it. Children who cannot understand the meaning of what is being said only serve to hinder the service and the understanding of those who can understand. Secondly, they demonstrated respect for the importance of what was being said and what was being done uh, by not allowing their young children to be there. The Bible says it was men and women and people of understanding. Now, that could be 10-year-old, 12-year-old. We got young people in here. You're young. You're under 20. You understand. You're sitting there. You know how to be still. You know how to listen. You care about what's being said. That's what I'm talking about. And, you know, in schools that way. You don't go in school and take over the classroom. You don't go. In fact, if President, if president so-and-so comes or whatever, <laughs> if President comes and for a speech or something, you're not the the very important self. Philharmonic. See how it works in the Philharmonic. They take your phone away in the Philharmonic. Buddy, we need to return, symptom of revival, a return to good old-fashioned reverence, and respect for the things of God. These people that were standing there had lost their privilege for over 70 years to go to church or to hear God's Word preached and, and to understand the truth of it and have it explained to them. For 70 years they had lost the privilege and here they are. And, brother, that was one group of reverent folks. That was one group of people who didn't sleep. That was one, one group of people who cared about being there, and they were just excited that after 70 years, can you imagine that? Well, you can't imagine that because communism and Marxism took over Russia for 71 years. They were they, Their number one proclamation was God is dead. Until they died. And now God's alive again in Russia. But for 71 years they had to live under that kind of rule. Imagine, remember when Russia, the wall fell and Russia got some free. Remember when they went crazy, man. I mean, they wanted churches. They wanted preachers. They wanted missionaries to come in and tell them about God. They wanted the Bible again. a Symptom of revival. Number three is they desired the preaching of the Bible. They did not only desire the service, they desired the preaching of it. He took that pulpit of wood, he explained the Bible, he opened it, they stood up, uh, they said amen, they lifted up their hands, they bowed their heads, they worshiped God, they were interacting with the preacher, just like that brother said amen. In other words, when a truth came across their mind and they, they rejoiced in it, they interacted with him. They interacted with the God of the service and the preacher that was there, and they said, Amen, and glory to God. Some of them raising their hands, some of them bowing. So worship, worship is not just singing a bunch of seven-eleven songs or seven words eleven times. It is our recognition of truth and our humbling ourselves before a our living God and agreeing with Him that you are right. That's worship. And then that turns into service and our worship of of service. People that go to church and act real holy and get real excited and got worship uh, leaders and all this stuff to get them all hyped up and excited on music and then go live like the devil Monday through Saturday, that's not of God. That's not of God. So a desire for the preaching of the Bible came back to them. They wanted it to happen. Back in 445 B.C., They got to do it again after some 2,345 years or so later. We're here with a raised platform, a pulpit of wood, respect for the Bible, a response to the Bible, and a reverence and humility and worship here at the gospel. Why? Because we are trying to obey that which we have been given. We're trying to follow what pleases God. That's why we call us a Bible-believing church. Symptom number four, one of my favorite sections, They had sorrow over the Bible when it was preached because it convicted them of their sin. They realized their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers had sinned against the Lord and had caused those 70 years of their suffering, many of them even dying over there in Babylon before they finally got to go back. And they didn't get to go back in great numbers. There were 50,000 46,000, some odd numbers went back. Just a small little number of, of the millions of Israel got to go back. It's Just a privileged little few. And they were poor. And they were still under, by the way, the Medes and Persians, under the government of the Medes and Persians. Still, they weren't free to do anything they wanted to do. Really, and they never were free until 1948. Because after the Medes and Persians came other ones. They were free for a little bit, but they got taken over by the Greeks, they got taken over by the Romans. And, and then in 70 A.D., they're pretty much just dispersed and destroyed. And they've been no government, no nation since, like I told you, till 1948. I went to Masada. How many have been to Masada? Been to Masada? Masada, I bought a T-shirt top of Masada. Masada said, Masada will never fall again. Masada shall not fall again. They, the Israel takes all their officers in the military when they're going to be sworn in as an officer in the military, they take them to the top of Masada. That's where 900 plus Israel out of, when Jerusalem was destroyed fled up to Masada which is a mountaintop in the desert there. It's a stronghold built by Herod the Great. But Herod was dead, long dead. And so they went up there to Masada and the, the Romans couldn't get them up there. It took them a while to get them up there. But eventually the Romans broke through and got them. The last remnant of Israel's that were, Israelites that were free killed them. And when you take those officers up there, they say, remember this. Remember, Masada shall never fall again. In other words, fight to the death. You're not going to take Israel again without them fighting to the last man and the last woman. Because they know what it means to lose their privilege. Maybe what's wrong with America is we've had such privilege for so long that we have forgotten that we have the privilege to be here right tonight, to this afternoon. I appreciate No, this morning. We're still in the morning, folks. Don't look at your watch. Privilege we got to be here. Folks! Privilege. I see here, the head. he said, I like that. Uh, I, I could repeat myself. You know, eat the fat and drink the sweet. You know, it says in Isaiah that God was insulted. In the latter part of Isaiah. That God was insulted by his people because they always went around to the church, to the temple. Mourning, 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 all the time mourning. Oh, oh! what a hardship it is to live for God. What a duty we have. Oh, what a burden. I use the word burden. Jeremiah says, Jeremiah, through Jeremiah, he says, quit using that word burden when you're referring to me. Hey, if my wife kept going around me and saying, oh, the burden of Bill, the burden of Bill, oh, the burden of Bill, oh, 47 years is a long time when you're with Bill. How am I complimented by that? Not very much. But if she went around going, Woo! I've been with Bill for 47 beautiful years. Glory to God. Let's break, break out the, the sweet and, and, and eat the ribeyes and let's have a some big old feast because I've been able to be with Bill for 47 years. Now, which one of those would you want? God's children, when you say, oh, Sunday again, you know what you're doing to him, don't you? That's like me going, another year of marriage. My wife looking at me on our anniversary and going, another year has passed by. Whew. Or should she come to me and go, We've got to have tears coming down her cheeks with a smile on her face. We've got to have one more blessed year together. Amen. I want to come to God's house with mirth. I want to come to I do God's work with mirth. Now, there's a time to sorrow when you're convicted of your sin because they had been convicted of their sin and and the displacement that had happened to their nation and their forefathers and all of that. Oh my, it was a heavy. But he says, stop, 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 stop. This ain't a day for that. We're here now. God's brought 46,000 and so of us back here. We've rebuilt this little temple. Oh, it's small, it's humble, but it's a place where we can renew the sacrifices again. It's a place where we can come and pray to Jehovah God. It's a place where we can come and worship God again. We can serve him again. We can begin to brag on him again and tell other people that he saves. There's no other way to go to heaven through except through him. That's a little place, but it's a good place. It's a pure place. Let's rejoice. We have this. It's not a chore. God's work is to be done decently and in order. Absolutely. It's a serious thing. Anything that interferes with with the teaching and preaching of the Bible must be eliminated out of respect for what's going on. But the service of God should be out of a heart of gratitude with joy. Unspeakable and full of glory. Isn't that what the Bible said? Symptoms of revival. Attention, number one, to the Word of God, the Bible. Attention to the public services, the church. Attention to the preaching in those public services. Reaction of sorrow mixed with joy at the finished work that God has done for us. We're a privileged people here today. We're a privileged people. What we, my whole lifetime, I've had the freedom to go to church. I've had the freedom, and some of you older than I am, you've had the freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth. You've had the freedom to carry this book around about anywhere you want to carry it around and not have somebody pull a gun out and blow your head off. And those times may be ending. But brother, if you want to keep those times going, And you want to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren, and I do. I want to do those things which are pleasing in His sight. And then like Abraham, when I prayed, Lord Jesus, for just if there be yet ten righteous, would you save the city? Father, help us this morning. Give us wisdom from heaven. May you come speak to us. May your spirit preside over this preaching of the Bible by this by this earthen vessel that you've placed this eternal truth in. Wow. Unworthy the vessel is to receive the truth. But by your grace and your mercy, you've allowed us to understand and hear and to assimilate and to receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning without Christ as your personal Savior, what does that mean? That means that you know you're a sinner and you violated God many different ways, many, many places, many times, you know you violated God. And you know in your, whole, in your soul inherently that there is a God. You believe that Jesus Christ is who He said He was, God's Son. You believe there's no other way to save yourself, as the Bible says, except through the simple childlike faith in the Son. And that you by faith believe, as much as you know to believe, that Jesus came, He died, He was buried, and the third day He rose again from the dead. And you by faith would say, Jesus, save me. I turn, as much as I know to turn from my evil. You don't have to stop smoking, drinking, cussing, acting ugly, but you have to be willing to. You say, Jesus, I repent, and by faith I come to you. Please save me. God will save you and fill you with His Holy Spirit, forever seal you into the beloved, and your name will be written in the Lamb's book of the Lamb's book of life. Would you do that today? Would you do that today? Would you nail it down today? You say, I don't know, Pastor. Uh, Pastor, if you ask me if I'm sure I'm going to heaven, I'd say I'm about 50% sure, maybe 30, maybe 40, maybe 60% sure. But let me tell you, the Bible says, these things have been written unto you that believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 100%. Not based on pride, not based on arrogance, but based on faith and the validity of the Bible. The Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in thine heart that God is raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. I believe God's big enough to keep his word. Do you? Would you ask him to save you today? Father, I pray that you go up and down these aisles. and you touch people. You say, you cause them to cry out. The Bible says after you do that with God, you're supposed to tell somebody you did it. If you'll confess me before men. Jesus' words, by the way. I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. Tell somebody you got saved. Tell somebody you've asked Jesus to save you. Then get baptized as Jesus did, as John the Baptist did, and disciples did, and join a local church, preaches, preaches and loves the word. Father, help people today. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand again.